This is Shinji Kagawa, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Stefan Butzko, as always, and I'm here to talk about Borussia Dortmund's 5-2 win against Hamburg and have a international break Q&A together with two other guys. First, Lars Pollmann from Bleacher Report. Hello, Lars, and welcome to the show again. Hi, Stefan. Thanks for having me again. How are you doing? Okay. It's the, in okay. It's the international uh, break, so I can't say I'm fine because the international breaks suck and should be abolished from from football in general and so should international football in general but uh, other than that it's okay all right i don't i don't know how matthias zug feels about uh, the international break but he is also once again here on this panel so matthias welcome hello hello how are you i'm doing well thank you for asking how are you Ah, well, I'm I'm fine. I'm uh, in Philadelphia right now, and uh, it's uh, a couple of degrees warmer than in good old Dortmund. So that's a very positive takeaway. And uh, yeah, if you hear a dog on this podcast, that might be because my uh, girlfriend's dog is sitting on the couch next to me. So, you know, just a disclaimer. But uh, yeah, nevertheless, let's dive right in. Borussia Dortmund won 5-2 against Hamburg in Hamburg, uh, which hasn't happened before since 2012. It was Uwe Seeler's 80th birthday. Uh, Matthias, before we say anything to the game, do you want to say anything about Uwe Seeler himself, maybe? Well, aside from happy birthday, uh, and I'm glad he didn't die during the match because uh, that was... Uh, I feel bad for him. I feel bad for Hamburg um, supporters. Uh, and, you know, because I re still remember when I was young of the uh, Fanfreundschaft between Hamburg and Dortmund. And it's just it's just a crying shame. And, and I feel really bad for Uwe Zilo, who's one of the greatest German footballers of all time. And I think kind of gets underrated these days as he gets older and uh, younger generations become more detached from the past of German football. Yeah, that is true. Uh, you know, he's he's a true German legend and a very honorable guy. He didn't even uh, want to wish himself a Hamburg win because uh, he respected the op opponent too much. You know, just says a lot about him. Um, Lars, um, as always, first question on the game to you. What are the takeaways? Uh, my main takeaway is that Hamburg are easily the worst side in the Bundesliga at the moment. Uh, Dortmund played Ingolstadt and Hamburg in quick succession, the two teams who only have two points uh, after 10 match days, which I think historically no club has ever uh, survived in the Bundesliga with only two points from 10 games. And this season we have two of them, so chances are one of them might actually pull that feet off. But uh, on on the evidence of the two games against Dortmund on the season in general, I don't really see how Hamburg could be the one to pull it off because they are absolutely terrible in, in pretty much every aspect. We'll talk later about Dortmund's defensive mishaps perhaps and, and that Hamburg 
doubled their uh, goal tally of the season uh, with their two goals against Dortmund, but they can't attack worth shit. Their defense is absolutely laughably horrible. Their goalkeeper, René Adler, who I actually think is one of the better goalkeepers in the Bundesliga, had an absolute shocker. They already changed coaches without having uh, any positive effect from it. So things are looking bleak for Hamburg once again, but I think we can all foresee that they are going to open the checkbooks in, in the January transfer window and, and presumably somehow make it happen in the relegation playoff against, let's say, Union Berlin or someone else who will come in third in the second division. Yeah, uh, if we if we look at the n lineup, we can see notably that both teams started with three center backs. Um, I think the Hamburg lineup was pretty much to defend well. Meanwhile, uh, Dortmund still without Schmelzer tried to have more uh, width on the wings with uh, two wing backs, meaning Piszczek and Guerrero. Um, Matthias also on the uh, team sheet was Pierre Emerick Aubameyang again after being suspended against Sporting and Thomas Tuchel already said ahead of the match that uh, it would be done and dusted. Um, did you expect Aubameyang to bounce back that way, meaning scoring a hat-trick within 23 minutes and then adding a fourth in the second half? No, I mean, I, I expected him to score uh, because Hamburg are just so, so bad. Uh, the, the worst Hamburg side <laughs> I have ever seen in my life. And you've seen a lot of worse Hamburg teams, especially in recent years. Yes, yes. Oh, by far. But, I mean, these they're, they're just so bad. But, of course, no one can say he's going to score a hat-trick in the first half hour and score the first four goals and all that kind of stuff. It was the right thing for him to do. It was the right performance to calm everybody down, to calm himself down, to instill confidence in the side. Um And it was good to see also the back and forth between him and Tuchel. I think it's right what Thomas Tuchel said. It's all done and dusted and we can move on from that. Yeah, I think Lewis wrote a good piece on yellowwallpot.com on that. Um, last first goal, it was Pulisic who laid the ball off to Emre Moore. Uh, his effort was saved by René Adler, but just uh, to land right on the foot of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Um, I think it was you who wrote how essential Pulisic's decision-making is, or Pulisic's decision-making is. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think it's what sets him apart from both Emre Moore and Usman Dembele, who I think we will probably always compare the trio of those three 18- and 19-year-olds for obvious reasons, uh, especially now that they are playing so much with uh, both Marco Reus and André Schöler out with injuries. Uh, the the thing about Pulisic is that he has a directness to his game. We often talked about it, and, and if you want to, you can make your One Direction joke now. No. No? Okay. Uh, everyone's tired of it already anyways. Um, and, and it was really apparent in that scene again, even though uh, I don't I w don't want to give him too much credit because whoever was the right back in that situation got sucked up too high up the pitch and left the space wide open, but Pulisic, it was Diekmeier, yeah, the right back. Yeah, I, I don't think Hamburg knew exactly who was supposed to cover that ground, so that was one of the many issues with their performance, but there's still something to be said about Pulisic, an 18-year-old who's playing so much, which can be overwhelming for, for a young guy with a, a lack of experience to make that run to identify the open space and then to keep uh, his composure in the box and 
lay it off for Emre Moore, who uh, probably should have done better, but uh, in the end it didn't matter because Aubameyang, as top strikers tend to do, was in the right spot at the right time and had the... I, I can't even say it was the easiest finish of the game because the second goal was actually even easier, but it was still a tap-in from about six meters away or so. So an easy enough goal to to settle the nerves down a bit because, as you mentioned, the, the lineup looked a bit suspect, in my opinion. Um, they played without uh, the two midfielders who tend to make the right decision in most uh, situations with uh, both uh, Julian Weigel and Mario Götze on the bench. So I think it really played into their hand that they scored the first goal after, what, four minutes or so? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, even though Hamburg are uh, as absolutely shit as we already discussed, uh, it, the game could have been more interesting had they held the game at a goalless draw for, I don't know, 35 minutes or so. I think Dortmund would have struggled to break down that massive Hamburg wall with at least three centre-halves and seven or eight outright defensive players on the pitch. Yeah, I, I sort of agree with you. And uh, uh, you could see, especially in the match against Cologne, where Hamburg held uh, the, the scoreless draw for quite a while, that uh, they you know looked quite okay. But once they conceded, confidence levels dropped infinitely into the uh, uh, center of the earth, basically. So, um, yeah, that sort of happened quickly and early in, in this game and, uh, yeah, put Dortmund on the winning streak. Emre Moore picked up two assists. Matthias, uh, was this his best performance uh, in the Dortmund shirt so far or uh, does the assist count just look nice? Uh, I'd say it's a combination of both. He played rather well, again, against arguably the worst team in the Bundesliga. Statistically, obviously, it looks good. Um, so I, I'm still... I mean, I like the kid. I think he's talented. But between him, Dembele, and Pulisic, I'd say he's the lesser of the three. So I still have to be convinced by him because all too many times he picks up the ball, cuts inside, and takes a wild shot from way too far away. I've seen that too often uh, where situations die with him, whereas with Pulisic and Dembele, um, they can occasionally pick the right pass, make the right move. Um more, I would say, is still behind them. Yeah, fair enough. I I see it similarly. Um, Lars, I think you once wrote for Bleacher Report, uh, looking at Y Scout videos, that uh, Rafael Guerrero has some problems if he has to defend with his uh, with his front towards goal, basically if he has to turn around. And I thought it was pretty evident in this match. Uh, he obviously played the left wing back. Um, how did you see him? Yeah, it's nice that you remember that because I did too watching the match uh, that I wrote that, you know, at least five or six weeks ago. Uh, to be fair, most defenders uh, struggle defending with their face towards their own goal simply because it means that the uh, opponent uh, is on the front foot and attacking uh, with speed and force and whatever else you want to call it. So most of them don't look exactly great in that situation, but uh, he tends to really struggle with that. I don't know if it's uh, his lack of vision. I don't know if uh, in his uh, education as a youth player, maybe he played too offensively. Maybe he doesn't have the greatest defensive instincts, but he really seems to struggle in those situations. And uh, with Dortmund being a dominant possession orientated side these days, uh, that's probably going to be the case uh, in most games where he has to play as a left back or a left wing back as it, as it was on on Saturday that uh, 
teams are only going to attack uh, on the counter uh, or in transition when Dortmund lose the ball perhaps and it's probably going to be re to be an issue uh, with Guerrero even though I think we can all agree that Marcel Schmelzer is too important uh, for the team both on and off the field anyway that once he's fit again he's going to start uh, on the left side uh, freeing up Guerrero for a midfield role where I think the team is better in both spots then yeah without a doubt without a doubt um yeah that 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 was that was probably the biggest issue I had uh with an individual defensive performance is that I wasn't really convinced by Guerrero at all uh, I think nearly every crosser every source of danger basically origin from Hamburg's right side and I think there was one moment where Guerrero didn't even cover the crosser even try to close down the the uh winger I don't know if it was was Diekmeier or, or Müller uh one one of those uh and and just try to uh yeah cover his position in in space in the box but ultimately was completely lost and uh yeah that that wasn't uh really good um Matthias we saw a couple of cameos of Mark Batra now again after his injury. Um, how how did you see him, and uh, how confident are you in his defensive skills right now? <laughs> um, I think there's a reason Barcelona let him go. Uh, I just, uh, I mean, he can pick a great pass. I'd say he's got great range as that type of defender. Uh, but when it comes to being a defender and, and just purely defensive, it, it sucks when Socrates is better than you, uh, in, in a defensive sense. Um, because that, except for a few occasions when he was in a form dip, that was never a discussion with Mats Hummels. So Bartra still has time to go. I, you know, it's, it's, it's a concern for me. I am not convinced by him. Um, defensively. And at the end of the day, that's his main job. Yeah, playing the pass, playing out from back, you know, that's part of the the Tuchel mantra and, and using your attack as your defense because you're keeping the ball in the opposition's half. But every team will get a breakaway against you. And that's where, to me, the weaknesses are. And I just, I don't know if that can still be corrected, if he's already too old to have that corrected. And he's not going to grow five you know, five, six centimeters anytime soon either anymore anyway. So I, I'm i not, I'm just like with more, I'm just not convinced yet by him. Yeah, Lars, uh, how, how did you see it? And maybe we can segment into uh, the stint where Hamburg suddenly looked like they could, you know, pull off the crazy comeback everyone kind of expected considering their uh, record against Dortmund. I don't think. Uh, Bartra necessarily played bad in this game. I think he played better than he did against Sporting in the Champions League the the week before or in midweek before. I I, I think he really looked shaky against uh, Sporting. He misplaced a couple of passes uh, far too carelessly and if he hadn't had that big block uh, in the first half it would have cost Dortmund a goal. I think he did better against Hamburg uh, and as you said we can segue into the, the general areas of concern defensively. I think he and Ginter and at times even Socrates, even though I argue that Socrates has probably been the most uh, steady guy, maybe on the entire team this season and not only in defense. But all, I'm with you on that. But all of them seem to uh, lose focus uh, 
at some stage during the second half of most games these days, or against Schalke it was more the first half, even though they didn't really create too many real scoring chances, but it just seems like they, they lack the intensity at times. Uh, they aren't aggressive enough in in the way they are defending, in the way they are setting up, and at times uh, Dortmund can be uh, overwhelmed with two or three quick passes into into the, the into the final third behind the the last defensive line, and that's just unacceptable. Um, Dortmund have now conceded, I think, twelve goals in the Bundesliga, uh, five of which came against Ingolstadt in Hamburg, the two, as I said before, worst sides in the Bundesliga. Who will have a tough time keeping uh, keeping themselves alive in the Bundesliga this season? So that's not good enough. And the, I mean, the one of the problems as well is that we've seen they can do better. They they started the season defensively really well. I think the the first game where they looked shaky was the five one win over Wolfsburg, where uh, Roman Bürki had to have arguably one of the the two or three best performances of his Dortmund career so far. And maybe there is a there is a, a coincidence there that uh, Mark Barta uh, injured himself during that game and only now has come back for I think two appearances as you said so maybe there's uh, there's hope that uh, when he's fully fit again and they can play him and Sokrates and Schmelzer and Pasterk slash Piszczek on the right or maybe even Ginter who I think personally has done pretty well in the recent weeks maybe some of those problems will uh, more or less magically disappear but I'm not overly convinced that's actually the case i think it's more a question of intensity for the entire team and maybe the the injury crisis uh played a part in that uh, in that sense that too many players had to play too many minutes without getting a, a break not even necessarily a physical break but a mental break to process what the what the results were and and some of the the bad performances for example against leverkusen or even the first half against Schalke, I think now that the personnel situation has become more relaxed or is about to become more relaxed after the international break, uh, knock on, uh, knock, knock so. on wood. Yeah. Uh, maybe some of those problems will go away. Yeah. It's uh, nice to hear on this podcast that uh, Matthias Ginter receives some well-earned praise from the last poor man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did you not read my article today where I, Went out of my way to praise one Matthias Ginter. Uh, I'm I'm a, I'm afraid I have not yet, but obviously I will, so I can uh, you know quote quote you on that in the future as I already did today. Um, Matthias, um, any positives like really big positives from this game apart from the result? Um, conversion rate is better. Um, obviously, <laughs> you score five goals and. You know, it's not like Dortmund had 30 shots. Um, so that was very, very positive. Um, they had 10. They had, yeah. So it, the conversion rate was fantastic. Um, overall, I think another positive you can clearly see is, uh, and yes, I'm biased, but the <laughs> further development of Christian Pulisic. I, I think he's uh, a year or two away from being a star, uh, a, a true Bundesliga star, the kind of player that, if he's healthy, will play um, every time he can. And so, to me, that's really encouraging, not just obviously from a Dortmund perspective, but also from a Team USA perspective. Um, so, I would say that's that's another 
big positive for me. Yeah, uh, the American listeners can obviously see him play against Mexico uh, on Friday, I think it is. Um, and I have to uh, encourage you and your opinion. I think Pulisic in the game against Sporting and also Hamburg, he had two uh, pretty amazing games. Uh, although I think it has to be said that he also dipped a lot either in, in a first or a second half. But, you know, he's still a kid. Pretty much symptomatic for the entire team not all, yeah. only Pulisic but uh, yeah he is he has been one of the driving forces right now and that's uh, very good uh, also it shouldn't be uh, it shouldn't go unmentioned that uh, Usman Dembele scored a goal and uh, I always have the feeling that uh, if he is to score it will come from uh, a right side you know position towards goal rather than the left side um, because then he can put it on his uh, stronger foot even though he I think he himself doesn't really know which one that is, but I think it's it's the it's the left one. I think he scored the goal with the left one. Um, he gives he gives more assists with his left foot too. If he's on the left hand side, he slots it across with his left foot better. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Um, so yeah, I think I think uh, we can maybe you know after ten match days have a short uh, general take on on Dortmund season so far, starting with you, Lars. Uh, my general take is that they have been about as good or bad as uh, one or in this uh, case myself has imagined at the start of the campaign. I think everyone kind of knew that they might stumble out of the blocks a bit because of the wholesale changes they made over the summer. And most of them, as we all remember, were forced um, bringing in so many new faces, so many young kids. It was obvious that they were going to struggle in some of those games. And I think I said before that uh, away defeats to uh, Leipzig and Leverkusen will end up not looking too bad. And uh, with Leipzig uh, level on points with Bayern Munich uh, at the top of the table and Leverkusen doing relatively okay for for their uh, standards because they usually suck uh, up until uh, January and then they rally back into the Champions League spots under Roger Schmidt. So yeah, I think it's been okay. Maybe the performances in recent weeks uh, haven't been quite up to the, the standard I would have hoped, but then again that's also down to the personnel situation, the injury crisis. Um, even though I think uh, people uh, are being a bit lazy when they put everything on that, I think there were some mistakes made over the summer. The lack of a true replacement for Gündoğan is looming large in my opinion. There are some games where they just struggle too much to uh, move the ball forward. Um, that's also dark. Yeah, we, we, we have a question yeah, going in that direction. Yeah, that's why I'm not going to ramble on for much longer and just give the floor back to you. Yeah, I, I, w I will obviously have Matthias uh, <laughs> talk a little bit about Dortmund season so far and what his views and takeaways might be. Uh, well, uh, they're, they're pretty much round where I thought they would be, uh, performance wise. Uh, I think offensively, they're better than I thought they would be. They're, they're gelling pretty well, uh, with a lot of new players, despite also injuries from more senior veteran type players. Uh, defensively, you know, I mean, we, we nitpick a lot at them defensively, but that's still, I mean, last I had looked, and I haven't looked today, but it's still a top five defense uh, when it comes to goals conceded. But um, 
I, I'd say they're pretty much there where they should be. Uh, I think they're hurt in the table because there are other teams that are performing above where I expected them to be. If you look at a Hertha or uh, a Leipzig, I didn't think Leipzig would do this well this early. Um, so they're pretty much where I thought they would be. So overall, I'm, I'm quite happy. Uh, I think their Champions League performances have been good. Uh, their league and cup performances have been good overall with a few little dips here and there, but that's to be expected. So no, that they're pretty much matching my expectations right now. But, you know, again, Leipzig and Hertha are way above the expectations that I had. So that, that probably reflects the positions, the position in the league right now. Yeah. Unfortunately, they are currently tied seventh in the league with, uh, who is it? Uh, I don't, I don't even, even know. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's Schalke actually, who also only, uh, or not only, but considered 12 goals. Um, I think, I think the positive here is that Dortmund, after a couple of bad results that could have gone their way, uh, are still in touch with the Champions League places, you know, just two points behind, uh, Hoffenheim, who are third and guarantees them a direct spot in qualification. So, uh, you know, I think the, the first half of the season is more about damage control and, and hoping that players and new signings start to gel, uh, rather than really attacking up top. I don't know how it will look after winter break and, and, uh, you know, a couple of more training camps. But for now, I'm pretty happy with uh, what Dortmund are showing so far. Um, I think the best takeaway is that on their day, they can, uh, compete already with Real Madrid's. And, and maybe even Bayern Munich's, but we will talk about that in the next, uh, next week's episode. Um, but obviously on, on bad days, they obviously can, uh, yeah, lose against the last place team or, or draw against the last place team like Ingolstadt. So, um, yeah, I think that should sum up our, uh, Haas V segment and we should, uh, maybe go over to the Q&As and I will ask, uh, or, or, uh, Start with a Mr. Lennis question uh, from at BVB Hub on Twitter, and he or she asks, uh, "Where would you guys rank Borussia Dortmund among Europe's top teams? For example, top eight or top twenty? Uh, I think that's more way segues to our last talking point. Last, uh, starting with you. Well, I don't know what exactly uh, they are looking for. What are the parameters of uh, our assessment?" Uh, right now, I'd have a hard time putting him, uh, putting Dortmund into the top 10 or even top 15 in Europe simply because they are fifth in the Bundesliga and there are a number of teams ahead of them that shouldn't be, uh, even though, as Matthias mentioned, they are pretty much all there on merits. Um, that includes the, the likes of uh, Cologne or, uh, no, I think Cologne are actually behind them now, but uh, Hoffenheim and Hertha and Leipzig, obviously. But if we take a, a broader approach and look at perhaps the last five years or so, then they are top 10 for sure. Um, they, I think, are now seventh in the official UEFA rankings, which are the, uh, used for the, the Champions League seedings, if I'm not mistaken. So they have overtaken some teams there that really have a better reputation than Dortmund do. And it's something to be proud of as a Dortmund fan, but... Uh, as I said, it's difficult to really answer the question without knowing what they were looking for. But I'm in t I'm inclined to to take the the five year approach, and in that terms, I think we can safely call Dortmund a top ten side in Europe. Yeah, I agree broadly with that, Matthias. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that as well. I mean, if I look at clubs that are ahead of them, 
Um, just off the top of my head, you'd have to say Juve, PSG, um, Barca, Atletico, Real Madrid, um, Bayern. <laughs> of course, them. And, you know, then you already have... Not Manchester United, though. No, no. I mean, then you have six, and then you look at... Who else would I say, you know, at least seven out of ten times or they may beat Dortmund? City. Uh, Manchester City with Pep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and mean, then that's ha- it. They have him. Uh, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd say those seven and then you probably have a few. I mean, I would actually give Dortmund a good chance in, in seven out of ten games against uh, PSG and maybe even Juventus, but that's another discussion. But... I think they are at least level with, uh, with some of them, yeah. with, you know, the, the arsenals of the world, uh, at least level with Spurs, even though they are good under Pochettino. Uh, Chelsea aren't even in the Champions League, but I guess, uh, if we take the broader approach, they are also in the discussion simply because they've won the Champions League and the Europa League in the last five mm-hmm. years. But, uh, I, I think they can, Dortmund compare favorably to everyone bar the the five or six greatest clubs in the world, and that's really an accomplishment. We we yeah. mustn't forget where Dortmund come from. Just you know, ten years ago they were absolutely shit, <laughs> and almost and almost out of business. Uh, so, and they give Real Madrid a hell of a time every time they play them. So, yeah, I I definitely say I I would comfortable I would say top eight since your question was top eight or top twenty. I'll say top eight. All right. Now that we counted up seven other teams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, thinking about it, I don't really think of another team that, uh, uh, apart from, from those we counted, uh, can, uh, yeah, should, can or should be ranked above them in, in the, uh, in, in Europe, at least. I don't, I don't know. Is there any Brazilian or Argentine team or a Mexican team that, would be ranked above Dortmund. I'm no. not in the picture right now. So no, no. All right, because <laughs> they actually have worse goalkeeping than Roman Bürki. So no. Wow. All right. Direct your hate <laughs> mail at Matthias Zuck. I like I like Roman Bürki. I have to say that, but I actually watch a lot of Copa Libertadores and Copa Suda America, and the goalkeeping is so bad in South America. It's it's pretty laughable at times. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, all right. Then, uh, I think we can move on and, uh, go up to our lineup questions. Uh, Steve Berkowitz, I think it is, as at SC Berks on Twitter asks, with the team getting healthy again, how will Tochel handle the side's rotation? Uh, will he continue to try out new formations, Lars? Well, I don't think they have tried too many formations. Actually, they started the season with a 4-2-3-1 in most or what? In most occasions, in in the two or three games to start the season, when I think it's more about personnel here than rather shapes. Yeah, he said formations. So formations is not personnel, but systems. Uh, they, as I said, they started with that when Weigel wasn't healthy or not healthy, but not ready after the Euros. Then, then they almost exclusively played four one for one, and then against Hamburg the first time with a back three. And I think we could see the back three again. Um, I think Tuchel likes uh, that system. He played it uh, a lot during the second half of his first year at the Westfalen Stadion, and I think it helps in in both defense and uh, in possession. And in terms of the rotation, um, they will get healthier at most positions. I think they will still be without 
I, I mean, it, it depends on how quickly Nevin Zubotic can play, but they are still probably going to be with only three healthy senior center back options. So that's the only spot for a spot of concern, but they will have so many more options in attack that for the first time all season, uh, more or less, they can ride the hot hand and I think uh, Tuchel's idea of uh, Dortmund's attack probably includes uh, Obermeyang, obviously, but also Reus, Schöle and Götze. And those four have not played a single second together, obviously, because of Reus's injuries so far. And uh, it's exciting to see that come together at some stage, even though I think we all have to be weary of having too high expectations of Reus before the turn of the year. I think he probably needs the the winter preparation and training camps to to get really, you know, to a level where he's the Marco Reus of old. But as I said, it's it's going to be interesting to see how those plans come together finally after, you know, almost four months of the season. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think we can all count ourselves as experts when it comes to how Royce uh, gets back on the field. And I think after, I don't know, two or three injuries, We have seen that it always takes uh, some time. Then there is another question uh, regarding Oriel Mangala from at El Pistolero. Um, basically, how is he doing? Um, I have no idea. So I asked uh, Ed Lauren at Do on Twitter and he told me that he, he plays on a double pivot uh, mostly, but not as uh, offensively minded as he did on at the Under-19 uh, World Championship. Uh, he's still... Uh, superior when it comes to his physique and uh, finds better into the defensive pressing. Uh, but he says he's not the uh, the player who can uh, receive passes as well as, uh, for example, Janis Bornich. So uh, he is not the key player uh, in attack in attacking midfield. Uh, you know, in in the offensive transition as as others. But yeah, that that's that's uh, what Lauren told us. I don't know, Matthias, if you have anything to add. No, to that. no, I do All not. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, then there's a question uh, which more or less hinges uh, between our lineup questions category and our future and transfer categories, and that regards uh, one Nevin Zubotic, um, and it was uh, Dave Ferguson, uh, who already was on this show in our Borussia Dortmund fans from around the world segments uh, at Norsk Akiruno uh, on Twitter, and he asked, will Tuchel give Nevin Zubotic a chance when once he returns to full fitness or is his return to training only a mere formality Lars, i don't really see zubotic getting you know an extended run for the first team uh, at any stage before january and i think we can all assume relatively safely that he's going to be at another club after january Uh, we all know that he would be at Middlesbrough right now if he hadn't uh, suffered a rib injury that kept him out of the out of action uh, up to this point. Uh, and Dortmund would uh, gladly have sold him even under market value just to give him the opportunity to start because he's not old. I think he's 28 or he will be 28 in in about four weeks. Um, 
And he's obviously been a model citizen for Dortmund. He's been one of the greatest guys to ever wear a, a black and yellow shirt. And I mean guys in the in the sense that apart from being a very good player, he's also an absolutely awesome person and deserves all the, the good luck in the world now after uh, some injury-riddled seasons. But I don't really see a way back for him uh, under Tuchel. He just doesn't really fit the, the playing style. He's been out of the action for too long. Um, I think we are going to talk about Ömer Toprak uh, after another question or two. Um, that's going to be a, another option at centre-half. And if uh, two or three of the, the experienced senior options uh, at the moment are injured, I think Dortmund would still be inclined to use Mikel Merino or other youth or, or second-team options there. As opposed to Zubotic, who I really hope gets another another game in the Westfalen Stadion just to say goodbye at some point, but that's probably going to be it. Matthias, do you have a different take? Do you think he might uh, gain relevance? You know, maybe some funny circumstances or even without? Uh, I don't think without. Um, you know, I mean, if there are enough injuries, maybe. But, uh, you know, I have to agree there that... <laughs> I, he he's getting fit at the right time to be sold in January. That's pretty much it. All right, then we can check that off the list. Um, Lay Clayton asks, uh, are we planning on any new signings in the January transfer window, Matthias? Well, since I'm obviously Michael Zorc, um Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think... You know I'm the best. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or the longest. The, that, yes, I from, from all of us, I've known him the longest. Um, no, it's... Uh, I think Dortmund needs to strengthen at the one key area, or two key areas. Uh, the biggest one, in my opinion, is center back is 1A. 1B would be the Gunduan role, um, which... It's funny how the next two questions yeah, are exactly yeah, about those two spots. It's crazy. It's as so if I, we had a list in front of us, Stefan. It's as if I'm looking right at it right now. <laughs> Seamless transitions. Automatisms. Um, yeah. No, I, I think the club will really look at them. Uh, obviously, January is always the worst time to buy because... Player prices tend to be overinflated uh, simply because most people buying in January have to. They're trying to fill some kind of void and they, and the selling club knows they can price gouge. Uh, you can occasionally get a deal if you're smart and it's the right player because they don't want to extend their contract and the club still wants to cash in. Um, so... I, I would say one of those two roles will get filled in January if they can come to the right kind of agreement. Because if there's one thing we can say about Dortmund under Watzke, uh, because Zorc, uh was sporting director before Watzke came, uh, he was there in the we don't have money times and prior to that. Uh, one thing about Watzke is they'd rather be a little bit more cautious, especially because they have had some transfers over the last three seasons where they had a significant financial outlay and they just did not pan out. So uh, I, I think I'm cautiously optimistic that we will add at least one of those two roles. Interesting, interesting. Lars, uh, maybe we, we go to uh, <laughs> number A, B, as uh, Matthias said. Um, 
And it was Grant Jacob who asked, uh, do you expect a move to be made for an additional center back in the transfer window, Toprock perhaps? Or will this really happen in the summer? Because I assume Toprock is more or less done and dusted. It's only a question of when. Yeah, uh, I would be seriously surprised if Dortmund signed any players in January. They are likely going to let go of uh, Zubotic. I would not be... Uh, surprised at all to see Nuri Shahin go as well, which would be twice the shame. Uh, but you know that's the way football as a business works. Um, but yeah, I would be surprised if they signed anyone in January. As Matthias said, you usually don't get a good deal in in that window, and the only league where there's really much action in January is the Premier League, and that's because they all uh, have too much money on their hands and there's too too much at stake for individuals making those decisions in January, which is why you see transfer records shattered in the Premier League in 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 a time when most other leagues and uh, that includes the the financially risk averse uh, Bundesliga are pretty quiet. Uh, so I don't expect a center back, a central midfielder or pretty much anyone coming in for Dortmund. The only scenario I would See is uh, if they can get someone they have their eyes on for quite a while uh, in terms of another, you know, youth prospect or so, or a, a player at the start of his career. If they believe they can only get him in January because he's going to take off in the second half of the season or have too much of a market in the in the in the summer window, but I think Toprak is really only likely in the summer they are probably going to sign his contract in January because they can only do that then we remember when uh Marco Reus signed Marco yeah, Marco Reus uh, signed or uh, Robert Lewandowski for example you can only do that uh, half a season uh, half a year before i think um so there's basically no way Leverkusen sell Toprak to Dortmund in January uh, unless Dortmund offer the the kind of money they weren't ready to offer last summer, and I don't really see why that would change uh, when they can get him for a reported twelve euro at uh, twelve million euros in the summer. Uh, I think they will manage that half season without him and uh, any other signing at center half. Plus, a quick question: Wouldn't he possibly be cup tied European wise? That uh, also, I think you can uh, add a player to the list if he hasn't played in the same competition. So if they sign someone from a Europa League side, he, they could play him in the Champions yeah. League. But I think Toprak is cup tight in the Champions League, as you mentioned. Yeah. Yes, he is. As uh, <laughs> you can always see, you know, when when Leverkusen concede a goal and late in the game, and there's a highlight. I, I have a hunch it's almost exclusively Toprock involved as a culprit. Um, so, <laughs> at Fofa1909 asks, uh, what do you think of Niklas Süle and Mahmoud Dahoud? Um, first, maybe Süle, Matthias? I like him. More than Toprock? Uh, I think he has more upside long-term. Yeah, he's more a Dortmund signing. He's younger. Uh, he's got a longer future ahead of him. Um, I think Toprak is a solid defender, but as you so politely just mentioned, uh, he's occasionally seen in the uh, late conceding of goal highlights. Uh, with I think Leverkusen. he has, an, you know, you know. I mean, Toprak, Toprak will come up so often, and I think he has that Neverkusen gene in him. I think 
you know, he is a bad idea just because he will have <laughs> this one or two uh, screw-ups that nobody can really explain but are there and it's because he has spent too much time in Leverkusen where, you know, every dreams come to die because they're a choke club. And, uh, yeah. I, I ju- I, what? <laughs> well, no, it's okay. I mean, come on. They're, they're Leverkusen. They said before the season in July, I think it was Roger Schmidt, that uh, they will have the best season under his tenure, you know, and look at them now. So <laughs> Still that's, better that's, off than Schalke. Yeah, um, whatever. They they didn't announce anything, so <laughs> for once, yeah, because Heidel's there. Um, yeah, no, the no. I, back to the question: Do I like Zula more than Toprak? Yes, uh, a thousand times, yes. All right, um, and he would not why? be he would not be Champions League tied, by the way. Um, <laughs> because no, I mean, in, in all seriousness, you know, we talk about the clubs that are ahead or very close to where Dortmund are in the table. So you look at Leipzig, uh, Hertha, Hoffenheim, Köln, and Frankfurt. All five of them are not in Europe. All of them are not in Europe. Um, so we also can't forget that. So obviously Leverkusen will play better once they get kicked out of the Champions League, um, like they always do. But no, Zula, <laughs> I think he has more upside again, also based on his age. And uh, yeah, I, I just think he's a, a quality a younger center back. Yeah, I think Lars is stepping from one foot to another right now because <laughs> I know he was over... He was the first one to point out that Zule might be a good transfer target. So, uh, do you, do you still agree with with uh, past Lars? Past Lars is always better than present Lars and future Lars, uh, in my experience. But uh, uh, I would actually prefer Toprak uh, as a signing for Dortmund, just because they have so much youth already. They I mean, experience tends to be overrated by, by some pundits, uh, especially those from the British Isles. But uh, there can be a, a, a thing uh, like too much youth and too much ex- inexperience in a team. And I think Dortmund would do well to sign another battle-tested, uh, seasoned veteran uh, at the heart of defense. Um, experience in cock-ups late in the game. Yeah, but... <laughs> but uh, if you watched the 2014 and uh, season and the the first half of last year, you will have seen many cock-ups of one Mats Hummels who still is a world-class center half. It's just part no, of that is true. part that of is their true. game, and 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 I think Toprak gets uh, sold short just because he's uh, been in the discussion for too long. People are nitpicking. It's the same thing. Uh, American football fans experience when they watch uh, pre NFL draft coverage, you know, the, the top prospects always get picked about uh, late in the process because they are talked about so much that people are bored of talking about the positives. And I think there are many positives about Topak's game. I would uh, confidently say that he's uh, at least a top five center half in the Bundesliga, better than anything Dortmund have at the moment. And getting someone like that for 12 million euros, which is less or about the same uh, that they paid for Sebastian Rode in the summer, is a no-brainer. And um, Zule is a great player, a great prospect in my opinion. He's going to be a starter for Germany before long and all those things, but uh, just not really what Dortmund should be looking for right now in my opinion. Yeah, he will definitely be snapped up either way in the summer. I don't think Hoffenheim can hold on to him because uh, right now he's uh, he's playing just too well. I, I think uh, there are just too many vultures circling 
over him, even though he's uh, yeah, maybe 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 wrong uh, metaphor, but uh, that might bring us to Mahmoud Tahut, uh, who is playing so and so for Gladbach, uh, not a regular starter anymore. Might have to do uh, with the fact that he might have already been <laughs> signed with Dortmund secretly. Uh, Matthias, uh, will he fix the Genuan void? Oh, ah, uh, jeez, I don't know about that. I mean, his body of work is is very limited to judge upon that. I think, I think either him or Yunus Mali in the summer to Dortmund could have done it. I think in January, no, uh, it would take too long to transition into the way that Dortmund play. Versus. Well, the question was only what we think of him, not okay. whether he will arrive in winter. What I think of, I think he's a good young player. Um, another young player. Uh, the the Gunuan role, I think, with more coaching, does a Guerrero or maybe even a Mikel Marino uh, possibly fit that? Yeah, I mean, uh, this goes basically to what um, what we just said: is do we need another really young player? Um, so I, I like him. I think he's got upside. I don't necessarily know if he's the right right choice right now. Um, yeah, that that more or less is part of the question of uh, Quentin Sosa, who asked, do we think we should go after Mahmoud Dahoud or Yuri Tillmans to fill Ilkay Gunnar's role? Or does uh, Rafael Guerrero suffice? Uh, so last, your two cents on uh, Dahoud and, and maybe if, if uh, Guerrero will suffice? I think... Uh some and maybe even Götze. Yeah, some people have a, a wrong idea of what Gundogan actually did for Dortmund. Uh, his role was a much more strategically important one. He had more defensive responsibilities uh, than people maybe remember, uh, especially you know those who write those transfer rumors and just think that Dortmund need another creative midfielder and forget about all the rest. So uh, I think Dahoud is not exactly the, the kind of player Gundogan was. He has some of those same traits. And I think, as Matthias said, with a little bit of coaching, uh, he may be able to do some of the same things. But uh, I think uh, we have to face the reality that Ilkay Gundogan, especially when healthy, is uh, maybe top five or so midfielder in the world. And those are not attainable for Dortmund. So... They have to manage without a like-for-like -like replacement, but uh, as I said before, I would have liked for them to try uh, to fill some of those uh, responsibilities. I don't know that. Yeah, I think they had an attempt with Oliver Torres last winter. Yeah, but that didn't happen for some reason. Um, Tielemans, to me, is a virtual unknown. He seems to be some sort of unicorn. Everybody always talks about him, but he still plays for uh, Anderlecht uh, in Belgium, and he's not you know, a teenager, or he may be still 19, but uh, you get my point. He's been talked about for at least the last three or four transfer windows and he's stayed put. So that would indicate to me that he's not all that, or maybe that uh, he uh, is one of the, one of the few guys who are content with staying at their boyhood club for uh, a while longer before making a move. Perhaps he angles at a move uh, Going past a, a transitional club like Dortmund, maybe he wants to go straight to Real Madrid or something. Uh, I can't really talk about that because I haven't really seen much of him uh, in recent times. But uh, from what I've seen, read and heard, uh, he's more of an attacking midfielder anyway. 
Um, so the the question uh, was aimed also at Guerrero, and I think he has surprised us all, uh, and I'm pretty sure he's also surprised the club. Uh, I can't believe they uh, expected <laughs> someone who played left back for... Uh, he played for Lorient, right? Ren was Dembélé. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can't believe that they signed someone like him uh, with a view of him becoming the most important, or maybe not the most important, but one of the, the most important players on the team. They probably just lucked into him uh, or into that aspect of his game. Um, I think he's done very well in central midfield, but he's also only played there in, I think, four games, and I think we tend to overrate. The, him uh, or his impact at the position because he's played as many games there as he has uh, on the left wings where he still looked pretty good but not as great so it's just a bit early for my liking to anoint him the the new Gundogan or his replacement or whatever I think they still need to add another player there even though I think Götze has also taken on some of those responsibilities and I think Götze has played far better than he's getting credit for especially in the last you know four or five games before the international break but uh, yeah I, I mean Dahoud, Tielemans, Torres I don't care who it is they need someone uh, for Tuchel to groom in that position and I'm pretty sure they are going to get something done in the summer Uh, I think Stefan has probably heard the same whispers and little birds that I have that Dahoud and Dortmund is something that is very likely to happen. Yeah, there, there was something Max Eber might have said. Um, Matthias, my dear colleague, Stefan Ursfeld asks, can Marco Reus make BVB great again? Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about again. <laughs> but uh yeah, I think we, we we briefly touched up upon upon it but uh do you, do you think this will you know his return so to speak will kickstart Dortmund into another dimension? Yes, I think it can. Um I mean like you say, you know, I mean great again obviously knowing Stefan Usfeld that's a little bit of a tongue in cheek reference to somebody else. He's just a troll tr trying to make something else great again. Um, no, I, I think Dortmund doesn't need to be made great again. I think we're pretty damn great already. Um, I think he adds another option, especially given he's a more veteran player. Um, so I think, well, obviously, Marco Reus will make the side better. So to answer his question, yes. Yeah, I think, I think it, you know, it wasn't mentioned enough, uh, in, in Dortmund's great transmission and that, uh, you know, Hummels, McTaren and Gunnar were all gone, that Royce was also absent in, in the time. And, and Moritz Leitner, also. please. Oh, yeah, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Of, of course. How could I forget? <laughs> oh, wow. No, the, uh, the, you really caught me out yeah, there. That's the, awkward. The thing Moving with, on. The, no, the one, one more thing on Royce. With, I mean, I agree uh, 1,000% that people have undersold the fact that he's also been out of the equation for the entire year so far. And... Uh, Dortmund's second best goal scorers. Do you know who it is and how many goals they have? Any of you guys? No. Second best? Yeah, second, second best. best. No. I mean, Aubameyang has 14 goals in 14 competitive games, so he's doing uh, pretty okay. But who's the second best goal scorer Dortmund have this season? Mm. <laughs> Castro? <laughs> it is indeed Castro, Dembele <laughs> and... Uh, no, not Dembele. Castro uh, and Guerrero, who both have three goals. A piece. Oh. 
And that is really telling. I mean, Dortmund have, I think, 26 goals in the Bundesliga, which is great and all. And, and there's something to be said about, uh, you know, distributing those goals, uh, between, uh, six, seven, ten players or whatever it is. But they need someone to, uh, ease the burden on Aubameyang's shoulders. And I think we can all safely say that, uh, the, the, the tests with both Aubameyang and Ramos on the pitch haven't worked, even though Ramos is a damn good backup striker, in my opinion. But, you know, they just need someone else to start scoring some goals. And Marco Reus, uh, is one of the very best uh, goal scorers from the wings in the entire world. I mean, he has, I think, scored three goals fewer than Gareth Bale, who is widely considered a top, I don't know, six, seven player in the world in his career. Uh, so getting him back and uh, presumably at some stage, maybe in January or uh, in the second half of the season uh, to 100% of his capabilities will obviously have a massive effect on Dortmund. Yeah, and I don't have the number in front of me, but uh, Marco Reus has also an insane what we call scorer points record where you count goals and assists, um, you know, in, in the in the games he, he played so far. So, um, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean uh, Reus... Uh, by all accounts, had an up and down season last year. He had some problems uh, getting used to Tuchel's more intricate uh, attacking system with more possession and all of that. But he, yeah, a strong finish. He ended up with twenty-three goals across competitions. So you know, yeah, and that's an up and down season. Yeah, as I said, uh, he is capable of uh, putting up stupid numbers, uh, just goals and assists, even without playing altogether well which tells you all you need to know about his uh, qualities in the final third. So obviously he's going to make Dortmund a much better side. If the if he's going to make Dortmund great again, I don't know. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I think, I think uh, we can look forward to that. Although I still don't uh, think he will feature in Dortmund's match against Bayern. I think his return will more or less be against Liga Warsaw. And uh, we see a lot of teams uh, play friendlies within the international break right now. Um, Dortmund obviously don't have too many players on, on their side, but uh, Matthias would have been maybe wise to schedule a friendly against some sort of, uh, I don't know, fix, a sixth or seventh division team from, from Dortmund to just give Roy some, some playing time. Well, I mean, for Royce, maybe. For everybody else, no. <laughs> no, you know, we don't need some glory-hunting Oberligist knocking the crap out of somebody's knees. Uh, it's, no. No, thank you. No, I've, I've never liked international break friendlies. Give the guys a day off. But, but, but Hamburg won their 12 uh, goals to nil today, so they are obviously yeah. back at business. And FSV I mean, Frankfurt beat Eintracht Frankfurt. Boost. <laughs> a huge confidence no 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 i no all right all right moving on uh at class art eight i don't know 1909 as which players will leave dortmund in the winter do you think eric Dorm and nori shine have any perspective at borussia dortmund Ma uh yeah matthias um you know i agree with Lars that nori even though i love nori shahin i mean i remember when he scored when he was 16 um, no, I, unfortunately, yeah, you were 30 at the time. I, uh, moving on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it would be a real shame, but I think he, he needs to move on. Um, 
also playing a lower in intensity league, I think would be good for him. Uh, I just don't think his body can hold up to the Bundesliga anymore. Eric Duhm, um, for cover, I, I wouldn't let him go in, in January. I mean, because I just can't stomach seeing Park out there again. I mean, I thought he was gone. So yeah, maybe, maybe he is gone in winter. Please. That was <laughs> no. like, I don't even know where that came from when he came. But no, Eric Duhm, in my opinion, would be a mistake to let him go in the winter. Lars, any objections? Uh, I don't think it would be that big a mistake to let go of Eric Dohr, but uh, it's out of the question that anybody is going to be interested in signing a player who hasn't played uh, more than, I don't know, 15 matches in the last 18 months or so. Uh, I don't really see that happening. Um, Shine, as I said before, Zubotic, much more likely. I would not be desperately shocked if uh, Mikel Merino went out on loan uh, just because he's not... Already, he, he already said, I think, during the international break that he has no plans on leaving Dortmund right now. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything come January. Um, it's uh, not really up to him. That Yeah, well, he has to sign the, the loan yeah, contract. But um, if, if, if Tuchel can't offer him more playing time, then I think he has to go and... and You know, back to Osasuna, where they can probably need him, or can probably use him, I should say. Uh, the the thing with Park is that he's likely on a fairly good contract for a player of his lacking qualities. So I don't really see him being overly interested in making a move. I mean, he's also on the other side of 30, I think, or maybe he is bang on 30 years old. So he may be... Uh, uh, inclined to just sit out his contract and get set up for life after football in, instead of playing, you know. I don't know that he's good enough uh, right now to play in the Bundesliga. So does he move to, I don't know, Union Berlin for maybe a third of his salary or does he just sit on the in the stands and uh, watch some football from Dortmund and get paid for it? I don't, I mean, I know what I would do. Well, yeah, <laughs> obviously, but uh, I think there are so many different players who uh, handle that quite differently. Some do sit on that contracts and uh, some, yeah, the, you know, the, the, realize the, they want to play. The, the problem is that uh, he played for Basel and Mainz before moving to Dortmund, so he's never been on too high a, a salary or too great a contract. So this is the, the, the one time, presumably, that he's making, you know... Uh, that kind of money that, that really sets you up for life after football. I mean, uh, unless he can go to the Chinese Super League where uh, the, someone like Graziano Pelle uh, is paid uh, <laughs> as highly as, I think, the third or fourth uh, best pl paid player in the world, uh, he's more likely to stay put at Dortmund. Yeah, but to answer your question, Joho Park is 29 years old, just like Matthias. Um, and with that, we can, we can end it because we are all out of questions. Um, unless Lars or Martinez, you guys have anything to add or to say? Nope. Nope. Cool. Then, uh, I guess we, we can say that we will be back with a preview of Borussia Dortmund against FC Bayern next, uh, week. Uh, obviously after the international break, it's their Klassiker or whatever you want to call it. Um, and yeah, we are looking, we are looking forward to that. We have Christopher Ram back. On, on the panel from Mizan Roth to give us a little bit of Bayern perspective. Um, for the time being, 
Matthias, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Matthias Suk. All right. Thank you for coming on once again. It was a pleasure to have you on. And uh, Lars, also a pleasure to have you back once again. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter and read all your great work? They can follow me on Twitter at Lars Polman and read my written work for bleacherreport.com. And as I am now used and almost contractually obliged to say, occasionally on yellowwallpot.com. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we, we get the paperwork fixed at some point. Uh, I'm at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can read my written work on ESPN and occasionally also on yellowwallpod.com, uh, which, uh, where you can also obviously find and subscribe to our podcast. If you don't like to, you know, use the old internet desktop pages or whatever and download button, but subscribe on uh, iTunes, you can do that. There too, I think uh, if you if you uh, want to find it in the podcatcher, you have to type in the yellow wall. Uh, but I'm I'm confident everyone can do that too. And obviously, our podcast is also to be f also to be found on SoundCloud and Stitcher. So yeah, there. Please please leave us nice ratings and reviews if you like the show. And obviously, sharing is caring. So if you want to give us some more reach, please do that. And yeah, that that was all from me. And uh, the other guys, I think so too. So that was episode 160 of the Yellow Wall. Until next week, goodbye.